0: this is the boom Boom. athletics high performance podcast providing you with the performance training college scholarships coaching education and elite athletic development now your host your host seth boomsma
1: What is up everybody and welcome back to the podcast. Seth Boomsma here once again. Today we sit down with Coach Jonathan Becker of Mount Marty University Track and Field out of Yankton, South Dakota. We talk to Jonathan about his athletic career at Concordia, what his coaching journey was like leading him to MNU in Kansas City and then all the way back to Mount Marty. We touch a lot on what his coaching philosophy is and what goes into being a great student athlete at the collegiate level uh what he looks for in a recruit and how he assesses an athlete at both as a sprinter and a hurdler and what some of his favorite drills are for sprinting and hurdling and i think you guys will really love this podcast we also touch a lot on just life stuff and how coach becker really makes an impact not only on the athlete but on the the overall student-athlete and as a person and i think that's so cool And what made this podcast so special for me was being able for you guys to listen to who Jonathan is as a person. And I think Jonathan and I go way back. We're great friends. And I think he's one of the best up-and-coming coaches here in the NAIA. And I think you guys will all love this podcast. Let's bring Coach Becker here in. And I hope you guys enjoy this one. Jonathan, thanks for being on the podcast with me today.
0: Thanks for having me, Seth. I'm excited, dude.
1: So, why don't we give our audience a background of who you are and where you're at right now?
0: Yeah, so, Jonathan Becker, I'm the Associate Head Track and Field Coach at Mount Marty University. Uh, I grew up near Yankton. Uh, grew up in Hardington, Nebraska, so just 30 minutes away on the other side of the river. Um, went, to, went to college, did track and field, you know, got into coaching uh, Post college went down to Kansas City. Uh, my wife got into grad school, so that 's kind of how we ended up down there and um, got in with a good mentor down there and started volunteering and kind of worked my way up while I was working on my master's and saw an opportunity at Mount Marty and saw a lot of really good things happening and got excited about coming back to the area and so been at Mount Marty now three years, going into my fourth year uh, this fall and i'm um, excited about where we 're at and the things we 've got going on and, and just being back in the area so mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so a couple of details I want to dive in there. Concordia, Nebraska grad, right? Yeah, yeah. My brother went to grad school there, so shout out to Concordia. Then you're at MNU down there. You mentioned one of your mentors. Who was that?
0: Yeah, so Nate Weens. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the previous director of track and field and cross country down there. Um, had experience. Uh, D1, he was at Cal Riverside out in California. He was the sprints hurdles coach for three or four years, I think, at Iowa State. hmm um, and so had some, uh, pretty big jobs, you know, pretty high profile jobs. And, um, he, he was actually an MNU alum and he was there to help reboot the program. So they didn't have a team, um, when he started there. And so he did a year of just recruiting and then I had reached out to him about just coming to volunteer and he allowed me to come on and volunteer. And so I got to work, you know, on a, in a tiny office, five feet away from his desk. And I just got to, uh, I got to learn. Yeah, I got to learn and be a sponge and just um, and see how he coaches and see how he does a lot of the, the non-track stuff too, which was mm-hmm. really good.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I knew of Coach Weens from Ian Warner, who I'm sure mm-hmm. he has talked yep. about quite a bit. Ian Warner was actually one of my mentors. I remember racing Ian throughout college, my first two years, and then I actually worked for Ian. He had a website called Coverground, and he always yeah. talked about Coach Weens and his influence on him, so right. kind of a small world how it... You know, yeah. back.
0: But. Well and, and he always talked about, you know, he was at Iowa State, which Power mm-hmm. 5 D1, mm-hmm. and that's amazing, um, but you know, like, he's in the Big 12, mm-hmm. he's got Baylor, at the time, Texas A&M, mm-hmm. like, he's got all these really high-profile, you know, premier, what would be sprint schools, um, and he's the spritz coach at Iowa State, which is known for their distance, right? Right. And so, he always said he had to find a way to do things better. Mm-hmm. Right, He had to be more detailed and, and operate better because he wasn't usually getting that top five sprinter in the nation out of high school. They were going to Texas A&M or Arkansas or, you know, not usually Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, part of, I think, his growth in coaching came from having to figure that out. Um, but the cool thing was is that correlates really well to working at a smaller level like the NEI where we have to be so development focused. Right. And so. Um, It was really, it was really cool. It was an awesome experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So then that leads you to Mount Marty after MNU. When you got to Mount Marty, what was your first experience like? Because I don't believe they had an indoor facility
0: yet, did they? They did not. Uh, It was being built. Mm -hmm. uh, And so it was, it was being worked on. But you know, when I moved there, I mean, I think they had pillars going up, (laughs) but that was about it. And so uh, that first year we spent operating out of a hallway. Luckily it was a long hallway at least. Uh, it was a little narrow, so only we could only do about one wide. We had rollout runway. Um and then we had one uh curve or woodway treadmill that we just got reps in on. And luckily our setup at MNU was not all that different, um, at least during indoor when it was cold outside. And so some of that is stuff that I've been doing for four years anyways. You know, and then once a week, second semester we were able to slide over to USD, they let us on their track for about an hour uh over the noon hour. Um, and so we could at least get some touches over there on the track but uh it was an ideal setup but the kids had a great attitude and they worked hard and and they found a way to get better and so uh, that's really a testament to to their attitude and their work ethic and their desire to continue to improve yeah so, it wasn't great but we're certainly blessed now having a our brand new and indoor track eight lanes so we've got all the space we need and and it's been great so mm-hmm. it's fun to see how far they've come. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. And that's something that I want to touch on is how much Mount Marty's sprints hurdles program has grown since you've gotten there. You know, cause I remember, I'm, and I'm sure you're familiar with it too, racing them in the G pack yeah. when you were an athlete and when I was an athlete and then just, you know, once we started up, boom, you, you were at Mount Marty basically when you got there is basically kind of when I started up boom too. So we're kind of on similar time paths there and Mount Marty just never had any sprinters. And it was insane. And then you go there and you're just growing your team. We're talking before this podcast about how much this team has grown. You know, we've sent athletes there in the past, um, quite a few actually, and we'll continue to, but how many school records have you guys broken over here in your, in your now
0: three, four years over there? Well, just last year we broke 24 school records between Mm -hmm. indoor and outdoor and men and women. Um, it wasn't all sprints. There was like shot put, men's 5K. Uh, but for the most part, I think outdoor, we broke every sprint record except for the men's 200 and the men's 400, which we weren't far off of. Um, and so, you know, both broke, broke both records in the relays. You know, our men's team ran 310 uh, with three South Dakota guys on it, mm-hmm. mind you, uh, which was awesome. I mean, that's the fastest four by four probably in the area outside of maybe Nebraska and probably University of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so that that was awesome. That was fantastic. And just seeing that growth on the women's side as well and, and seeing the talent come in. And um, it's taken a couple years, but I tell kids all the time, I, I grew up near here and, and I understand what my perception was of Mount Marty University. And and so I'm excited to to work on that and grow that. And I think that's what we're seeing now, you know, and I was lucky. I had a couple of guys, Dwayne Robinson, um, Paul, Paul just graduated. They were, they were running pretty fast um, mm-hmm. when I got there, but you know, we, so I didn't have nothing. We did have something to build off of, which was good. Um, and so we're slowly getting there. Now we've got the depth that we need to be more competitive. We've got a ten-three three sprinter and the hundred um, who's only a junior this year, you know, and so definitely excited to kind of fill out this team and, and just, be more competitive than just a couple of event areas. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's crazy. Just the evolution.
1: Um, You guys also hosted indoor nationals as well. What was that experience
0: like? It was, (laughs) it was a good experience. It was a lot. Uh, It was something that um, it kind of came to a point rather quickly uh, with that COVID year going on and and realizing that we weren't going to be able to be up in Brookings that year and the way that everybody seemed to be operating was divisions were pretty much taking care of themselves that year, which is which is fair, mm-hmm. you know. And so you weren't seeing D ones going and going to meets where you had juco, juco's, NAI schools, D twos. It was pretty much D one only meets and D two only meets and NAI only meets. Um, and so knowing that we're, it was supposed to be hosted by Dakota State up at South Dakota State, um, we got to a point where we realized that. SDSU didn't want hundreds of thousands of kids coming in from all across the nation during a pandemic mm-hmm. which is fair but then the question became who in the NAI has a facility um, that could potentially host nationals and would be willing to uh, and so from by all accounts what we heard was you know if we don't host this thing it's probably not going to happen and so luckily um, Coach Dreeland over at Dakota State who was really awesome they still were the the technical host, um, and they just hosted at, not Marty University, but mm-hmm. we were working on Zoom calls every week and, and coordinating and figuring out with NAI office how we were going to do stuff. And um, But we were glad to do it. It was crazy because this kind of came to a head, and I think we agreed on it sometime around November or so. We hadn't even hosted a track meet yet <laughs> on our home track. Because <laughs> it, it got done that August. And by November, we were like, well, I guess we'll do it. Uh, we'll host it, and we're glad to, but I'm not going to lie, I was pretty nervous. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't even hosted a normal meet yet, and we're going to host the national championship. So certainly there were things that I think could have done better. I, I, hopefully at the end of the day, um, people are just appreciative that we were able to have the national championships. And I think for the most part, I think they went off pretty well. Mm-hmm. So it was a good experience. Uh, it certainly was it was a lot, but we were glad we were able to do it and, and just contribute to the track and field community. And and, and do it for the athletes, really. So. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: echoing off that, speaking of the track and field community, you guys are also hosting quite a few high school club meets, you know, before the actual real high school South Dakota season starts for Nebraska and other states. You know, we actually sponsored one of you guys' meets here. It was the first meet post-COVID to take place in South Dakota which was pretty cool and we had a lot of athletes go down there and mm-hmm. they absolutely loved it you know the environment and the cool yep. cool vibe that you guys have down there turf on the infield yep. nice bane on surface track so it's a beautiful facility that I, I recommend a lot of more athletes go and check out and I think that kind of leads us to my next question for you is you know we had Lexi Even who's state champ fastest mm-hmm. sprinter you know in this 2022 class yep. is now a Mont Marty Lancer you know what When you're recruiting an athlete, what kind of goes into that thought process of how can I get this student athlete to, you know, explore more opportunity here at Mount Marty and how can I get them on campus, make that offer and eventually make them a Lancer?
0: I think the big thing is, you know, the big thing I look for is is just attitude first. Um, And I know, I know you operate like this too, is um, I'm pretty confident in my ability to coach. You know, the biggest thing that I've seen hold kids back is how coachable are they? And, and do they want to work hard? Right. And so the biggest thing I look for is attitude. You know, I also know that we're an NAI school and, and typically we're not held to the same standard, um, as some bigger schools. And so, um, we might not have, well, we have a $15 million field house at a brand new track. Um, we still, still don't have the prestige that comes with just the name. Mm-hmm. and so more than anything it's looking for the right fit looking for the right kids seeing who who wants to be here and what do they value you know do they value the small schools do they value the small class sizes um, you know the big thing in the last 3-4 years when I'm recruiting is do you want to be a part of building something because I don't feel like we're a team that is, is just crushing it not yet right there are certain schools that you're like they are a track school they crush it every year and they have been it's what they're known for. And, and I want to be there at some point in time. Like, that's the goal. And so if kids are excited about helping build that and build that culture, like, this could be a really great fit. And if you want to go somewhere that's just been crushing it, like, that's awesome. That's where I want to be. Like, I totally understand. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know? And so uh, it's just looking for the right kids with the right mindset that uh, want to be a part of that and value that. You know and and then beyond that I'm looking always for a little bit of a personal connection there, just making sure that i'm going to work with Lexi a lot I'm going to see all of our athletes a lot, like I gotta make sure that we can connect to right. and we value some of those same things because um when you spend that much time together, really you know the track kids are a second family for me mm-hmm. and uh and it is personal for me, like my wife um, works in the training room there um, at least for now and and helps out and takes care of kids, which means that my two-year-old daughter's going to be around. Mm-hmm. And so I like to be able to share that with my team. And I want to make sure that um, we all value those things and we can enjoy what we're doing and who we're doing it with and why we're doing it together. And so really, we're just looking for the right fit for the right kid. And, um, and so far, I think it's worked out pretty well. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that's one thing, you know, when, it, when it, we talk about with Lexi, who was just on the podcast she said that one of the biggest reasons why she chose Mount Mario was because it felt like a very family atmosphere. She felt mm-hmm. very warm and welcomed um, from you and the staff. And you mentioned your wife also works on the staff as well in the training room. What has that been like? It's it's been
0: great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's a certain level of... Um, there is probably a little bit of... Weirdness isn't it. Um, but just because she's my wife and we go home together and we live together and that's our life. Um, but it's been great. Like I'm really not one of those guys that's like, Oh, you work with your wife. Oh, I would hate that. No, no like I love catching lunch with my wife Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love seeing her in the training room and, um, it's a new dynamic for us, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a, as husband and wife, but it's been really awesome and her ability to understand the body she has a doctorate in physical therapy she's a licensed physical therapist um to understand the body the fact that she's been around track since college you know for eight to ten years um and, and to understand the needs of what we're doing and, and how to adjust to that and help to get kids better has been just awesome you yeah. know and the communication's perfect like i don't i don't need to know like I don't need to go hunt down someone to find out who was in the training room or what they needed or what's going on with so and so. Like we just we have that conversation because we're just going to talk about it because we're eating lunch or eating dinner together that night. And oh, so and so came in and you know and it works really well. It's it's really pretty flawless um, from a communication standpoint and and working together. So um, and just kids getting high quality therapy, which has been it has been great because, you know, it's, it's hard to be competitive when you're at 90% right. in track and field. So, right. yeah. it, and
1: you said exactly what I was thinking while I, I asked you that question was <laughs> the communication. I think obviously your wife does incredible work um, on the training and therapy side, right. but just having that trust where you can send an athlete and be like, Hey, I need this athlete to be, you know, as close to hundred percent as possible for this national meet and that's her job and she does it really well and she's able to communicate exactly what she's been doing. Right. For her treatment and right. different things like that. And I think that also establishes your coaching philosophy a little bit more too. Yeah. Which is my next question is at the core of your philosophy, what would you say? How would you develop a sprinter and hurdler?
0: <clears throat> um well I you know, the big thing I tell my kids is really I, I probably focus more from the ground up. Um, again I'm, I'm in the AI so a lot of what I'm doing is extremely development focused you know I'm not getting typically I'm not getting the 12 flat girl out of high school who can come in and be an all American first year and so how do I take a, a 13 flat girl to 12 5 right or um, or whatever it is and so a lot of one of the things I noticed right away is just foot strike, how we're moving and so we really want to make sure that we're moving better uh, doing the little things right and focusing on that um, you know we, I, we were talking off air earlier and, <coughs> and um, I talked a lot about rhythm mm-hmm. and I focus a lot on rhythm hey what are you feeling how do we get you to feel the right thing um, I probably say the word rhythm 10,000 times first semester <laughs> <laughs> all right. specifically to freshmen maybe uh, and so we talk <coughs> a lot about rhythm and how we move how are we striking the ground and, and how that all works together and and, um, and so that's probably really at the core of, of my training philosophies. is just making sure that we're moving right um, I trust that the intensities are going to line up with that, you know, the power is coming with it, we have a great strength coach um, in the way that he operates and, and gives the kids the strength and the power and the flexibility and all those things that they need off the track um, and then beyond that we're just you know, the other thing I really like to focus on within philosophies is just building kids for the real world you know, and Paul Paul was extremely successful for us. And I think he's a perfect example that when I got here, he was very focused on trying to win a national title. Like it was national title or bust mm-hmm. and, and instilling in him this idea that like, that's okay. But please understand who you are as a person, who you are and that influence you have on your friends. Your friends love you no matter what whether you're national title, national champion or not mm-hmm. like, and so trying to help kids find their identity in the real world and grow and be prepared for success outside of track. Cause eventually track stops. Mm-hmm. You know that I know mm-hmm. that like eventually you your track <clears throat> leaves your body, you know? Um, and so how do we make sure that we have an identity outside of track and field as well mm-hmm. in our own personal lives? And what does that mean? And, and how can we grow and, and live that? And so, um You know, addressing all the things, not only the physical aspect of track, but knowing that my mental health plays a part in my physical ability, mm-hmm. right, my mm-hmm. spiritual health plays a part <clears throat> of that as well. My relationships with others play a part in that, and so making sure that we address all areas of life, um, not just track, which is I love track, but mm-hmm. making sure that we 're talking about all of that too so yeah that's
1: an excellent point in. And cause Paul interned with us, you know, a few years ago when we first started boom. Um, but you mentioned about it was national title or bus. I fell into that trap as an athlete and you might've as well, but I remember I was <coughs> as fast as you said, yeah, and I, was, <laughs> I, I went, but I remember I just never had that coaching influence. Like you're able to provide Paul. Like I had nobody yeah. really in my yeah. corner that would, that t- taught me that. So like when I was in college, it was literally national title or bus. So I go, Thirteen, I'm national runner-up. I'm excited because it's my first year. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm only going to improve. Fourteen, I have a torn posterior tibialis tendon in my foot. Get second again. I right. was crushed, and I had nobody there to talk to me, console me, tell me things are more than track. You know, right. it affected my relationships. It affected my personal life. It affected my school. It affected a lot of different things. And I think that what you exactly said is I think so important to teach student athletes is that you're more than just an athlete. Like you got to remember that you still have family, you still have friends, you still got all these people in your corner that are going to be proud of you no matter what. And that includes me as your coach. Yeah. And I think a lot of young athletes need to understand that not only for their mental health, but just for their overall development. Yeah. You know, as a person absolutely
0: and some of that I think comes from you know that was a big part of our focus at MNU and, and Nate you know his philosophy was we're going to be real with ourselves, God and others at all times you know and we're going to focus on other things but then I I reflect on my own experiences in college and, and I was a fourteen six high hurdler in college which is like good not that great it gets you to nationals you ain't winning anything but you're competitive mm-hmm. you know split 48 low which is like good not going to do anything in the open for, but, you know, it was a 53 second forward hurdler, which is good. But, and I was so focused on me and oh, my right. close group of friends that were doing it really well. And one of my biggest regrets was I didn't have anybody being like, dude, like focus on others, mm-hmm. like help bring others up around you. And that's actually going to be more fulfilling and help you feel better. And that's probably going to help you run better. Because, and you, you, I'm sure you know the feeling of just grinding every day for that tenth of a second, and then you don't get it, and you're just like, "What did I just spend my time doing?" And then all of a sudden, I graduated, and I was like, "Well, I have this giant void in my life. I'm super burned out, <laughs> but I have this giant void in my life. What, what have I accomplished? Who am I?" And I just, you know, I, I look back and I wish I, could, I think I could have been a better teammate, and I think I could have. And we talk about this a lot now with my kids. Like, use that influence that you have to help bring up others and to help build that thing, you know. And so, um, some of it's you know hindsight's twenty twenty and my own regrets and, and and being able to hopefully convey that message to our kids now that life's more than track. Tracks an amazing inf- ability to influence others, and it's a great stage to do that. Um, but you're going to feel a lot better about the impact you make in lives of your teammates um, eventually those all American plaques get dusty. I don't know where mine are. They're in a tote somewhere in the basement, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, that's just the reality of it, you know? And we get so focused on the outcome and running fast that sometimes we can miss those other things. So some of it's me being a knucklehead, hopefully figuring (laughs) it out. And, um, you know, it, it it certainly makes coaching more enjoyable for me too, Mm -hmm. if we're being honest. So,
1: yeah, man, that's, that's good stuff. That's, (laughs) That's, <laughs> that's exactly my thought process. And I think it's important that, you know, you're in a coaching position now where you were able to go through that and learn from it and then develop that. And now being able to pass it on and kind of teach that, yeah. you know, cause at the end of the day, you're more of a role model than you are just a coach. You know, you're like you said, at the beginning of the pod, you're developing relationships, you know, you're going to be around these athletes quite a bit. You're going to have your yeah. family there. So I want to ask you now because when you're an athlete, it's kind of all about how can I improve that tenth of a second, like you said yeah, yeah. now you're in a position where you know you're a husband, you're a father, I'm sure you have lots of early mornings, lots of late nights. <laughs> what is your typical daily schedule like now, and especially now that school's starting back up, yeah. you know and how do you stay
0: balanced and grounded through it all <clears throat> for For me, it, it just comes back to faith and and I'm not perfect at any of it, you know i, I It's easy to sit here and be like these are the conversations I want to have with my athletes and these are the things we want to focus on but the reality is is because of time constraints, because of maybe a lack of focus, because I'm competitive in nature so I do want the times like, <laughs> you know um, I'm not perfect at it, I try to focus on it but the reality is, is I tend to fall short um, you know the big thing for me that keeps me grounded is, is my faith, mm-hmm. um, trying to make sure that I go to church, trying to talk about God in my life, or um, you know, with my wife, or whatever it is that we're doing. Um, The best part of my day, and and I just said this to—I think I was talking. I don't even know who I was talking to. (laughs) The best part of my day is that 30 minutes before bed, when my wife and I sit down with our daughter and we read books, and we're just present Mm -hmm. in that bedroom, and that's the most fulfilling, calming time of the day, and and I love it. You know, and that's that's the stuff that keeps me grounded because. I do get focused on the outcome just like any athlete because I am a coach. And You know, you can quantify everything that we do in track. It's literally measured in time. And I have to have those things that remind me of my purpose, those things that keep me centered, um, that keep me fulfilled. And um, that comes from those relationships with athletes, but really it comes from my faith at home, my faith and my my relationship with my wife and, and my daughter and being a dad and being a husband at home. And, um, and having a good support circle. So, yeah. yeah, my routine, my routine's a mess. Uh, but, <laughs> I, you know, we, Ruth gets up usually between 6 and 6.30 in the morning. And you um, get the day going with some coffee and drop her off around 8. And then, you know, eight's usually <laughs> the best time for me to try to slip in a workout. Maybe. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> and so, I didn't do the classic, uh, just bad. Uh, I do the classic two to three months at a time and then we fall off for <laughs> two to three months and then we hit it for about two to three months and then we fall So, you know, but try to get that in at eight o'clock and try to get into the office by nine, nine thirty, 30. And, and um, from there, it's, you know, any whirlwind of whatever the heck you got going on that day, whether it's recruiting or um, just figuring out track and field administrative things. So, um, and then going through practice and then uh, going home and spending some time with, my wife and whatever we're doing at the time. So, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it's a little bit crazy, especially when track season hits and my Saturdays are completely gone. Um, but luckily we have an indoor track, so we get to be at home three times a year and, um, and that helps too. So, you know, finding the balance is hard, you know that, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's never perfect. It's actually just kind of the normal. So it's finding the fulfillment within that that makes it okay. Mm-hmm. So, man, this is good.
1: <laughs> so I want to, I want to ask you a question because I know I get this a lot with our athletes that come through here and you talk about when you get new people in, like you just started practice yesterday and you're getting, you're teaching all these new concepts and yeah. ideas and stuff like that. Do you ever have athletes ask you to demo or do you just demo? anything?
0: I'm I'm still just young enough where I kind of just demo. Mm-hmm. I always do things on my right side. I'm not gonna lie. You know, the the, the demonstration gets done on my good side, yeah. never on the bad side. Uh, I probably got about ten thousand more reps in on my right <laughs> side than my left side just from coaching for the last eight years. Um, but I, I do demonstrate some things. I've kind of backed off on some of the hurdle stuff. That's mm-hmm. a little bit outside of my range of motion. I'm I'm almost thirty one, mm-hmm. um, so. You know, and, I, and on some level, quite honestly, I don't remember who it was. I don't remember if it was Bouchek, Snyder or Vince Anderson. I don't remember where I heard it, but some high-profile coach once was like, you can't demonstrate forever, and you've got to figure out how to coach without being able to demonstrate. Mm-hmm. That's what makes a great coach. And so I've tried to go away from it, but on some level, it's definitely just still simpler and easier to just kind of do it. Mm-hmm. Um Hopefully it still looks okay. None of my kids have been like, Coach, that was actually not great. Uh, but uh, it certainly feels good. It makes it feel, and keeps my spirit young when I'm able to demonstrate a little bit still. Um, but it is something I've been trying to get away from a little bit. I had some upperclassmen helping yesterday, even though I still think I ended up pretty much demonstrating most things. Uh, but it was good to have them there to demonstrate every so often and to give feedback, you know, and that helps them develop their leadership skills too, which is fun. Um, but trying to back off from the demonstration a little bit. Mostly, and I don't do the proper one, up for it anyway. So um, that's, I've done a few hurdle things that literally I'd just hop in like and show them, and then all of a sudden I'm, I get done, and it's like, don't let them see the grimace on my face because my <laughs> hamstring just locked up like a guitar <coughs> string, and it's not good. <laughs> so I've kind of gotten to that point now where I realize I'm not as young as I once was, um, to throw a music quote out there yeah and uh and that's okay so
1: yeah so so do do athletes ever challenge you in practice and be like come on coach come on old man let's see it let's see uh you do
0: it. not as much now yeah. they they seem to get more focused on my grad assistants which is totally fine yeah which is totally okay yeah So,
1: man yeah. I, I get it all the time especially from like <laughs> from like young men and they're always like come on let's see you do it yeah. So, like, this summer, I, I usually demo a lot of stuff, but I've never, like, actually done anything, like, super athletic or anything. So, we had, like, yeah. a jump mat out, and they're like, come on, let's see you do it. And we had guys hitting 37, 38. And I was like, all right, no warm-up, toe tap, 40-inch. They're, like, yeah. freaking out. They're like, what? <laughs> what? Do you still work out? I'm like, nah, man, I don't yeah. got time to work out. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> the last time I had a chance to flex on any level, any kind of physical ability, I think, was down at MNU. And they had a volleyball. And they were like, Coach, you probably can't dunk that. And I was like, all right. And I, I want to say that I was probably, I don't know, it was probably my second or third year down there. And I went and just two-step power hopped <laughs> up and just like flushed it with one hand. But I was not like, like I was really not that athletic. You know, I, I, I tell kids all the time, I was a 5'11 white boy from Northeast Nebraska. Like, mm-hmm. I just wasn't, like my high school PRs weren't that good. I got put in the hurdles because I was too slow for the hundred you know, I just realized that like my God given ability was more in laid in the fact that I just really didn't get hurt, mm-hmm. which means that unfortunately for me, I could just work really, really, really hard <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'll get better. And the only way I was going to get better was through that grinding. I wasn't just naturally fast and I didn't have this just natural bounce to be a jumper or anything. Like I, I had to get stronger and my speed came from my strength side and, um, and so, like, it was, I, I never dunked a basketball. I've never dunked a basketball in my life. Like, I'll be honest. I really didn't know if that volleyball was getting in. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty pumped myself <laughs> when it actually did. Uh, but we had a lot. We had Taco Bell on the line, so it was important that I tried. So, um, <laughs> that, that I haven't demonstrated anything since. I'd maybe, if someone asked, I'd maybe get into a med ball throwing competition. I feel like I can do mm-hmm. okay at that at this point. But beyond that, um... Most of the time, sprinkles are enough. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think that kind of leads me to my next question because I think buy-in from athletes is so important. And whether it's demoing an exercise or being able to describe it perfectly, mm-hmm. um, that increases your buy-in for, for those student-athletes. So what is your typical process to make sure these athletes are really buying into what you're doing? Not only from like a recruiting aspect, but once they get onto campus, like I need them to understand what we're, where we're trying to take them.
0: Right. I, I think... You know, some of it is in the results. That's the easiest way to be like, well, you know, the thing I say all the time is success leaves clues, right? Um, and so, like, let's pay attention to what people are doing really well and how they're doing it, right? And so uh, some of that comes from, for some people, success might be making it through the season healthy or healthy enough to not miss. Like maybe, you know, I don't know anybody that gets through a track it's like, I never had any issues, period right like because if you're pushing those boundaries you're gonna have stuff come up but for some people um i have a female sprinter who last year we made it through the season healthy and it wasn't perfect and we had to back off during indoor season to every other day because we wanted to make sure we got through the year and she ended up having a great outdoor season and and that was success for her and that some of that creates buy-in um you know, and understanding it's more than maybe just the time. Mm-hmm. Some of it's the feeling of moving, but maybe that hasn't lined up with the time, right? Because we're, we're moving better, but we just haven't lined that up to a PR yet. Some of it might be the time. Some of it might be staying healthy. It just kind of depends for each individual person. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I think we have a lot of buy-in from a lot of kids because they see the success and they want that. And they realize, I think, more than anything, that it comes from working together. And, and that comes from being humble enough to go, okay, I need to make changes. Like, I don't know any good athletes that are like, well, I've just been good forever and I don't adjust anything at any point in time. Like there's, they always talk about how they've grown, right? Right. Well, growing isn't just doing the same thing. It's making changes and it's going to feel different and that's okay. We've got to lean into that, which can be hard, you know, when, when you're, when you're judged so much on your end time, you know? And so... Um, being a little bit more process oriented and and having some of those little victories throughout that process I think is what probably really creates a lot of that buy in yeah absolutely
1: so I want to get a little more technical here because I know you and I are both big students of the sport and we'll Mm -hmm. work with athletes you know every once in a while that will be similar to how we are in the training process and stuff I was always, you know, when I was growing up in the track and field coaching world, it was always like I was fascinated with training blocks and cycles and how you develop a weekly plan and stuff like that. So how would you say, you know, obviously you're going to have differences, but based off short sprints, long sprints, hurdlers, what is your typical weekly micro periodization setup?
0: Yeah, (laughs) so it's been, I've actually adjusted it a fair amount this year. Um, and that's because I've kind of been shifting our team to become a little bit more short sprint focused um, due to having a more complete team seeing some some areas where I think we can do some damage on a conference on a national level um, and just making sure that we're being competitive as, as possible but you know the big thing we always look at is, is developing the nervous system mm-hmm. right um, nervous system development so for our short sprints we do more of hey we're going to do block starts we're going to do power output on a, on a Monday coming off the weekend, hopefully refresh. Um, Tuesday, we're looking at more speed capacity stuff. And so, um, you know, we'll look at doing some flies, some maximum velocity work, um, still very nervous system oriented. Um, and then we're going to adjust our weight room to, to kind of match mm-hmm. as well. And so, um, we're doing a Monday, Tuesday split and then we're just coming back Thursday, mostly cause I don't want to make my kids lift on a Friday afternoon in the off-season or in the preseason? season um, We're going to see how that goes. But Wednesdays always a recovery day. Two very neural days. We're going to go recovery day on Wednesday. Um, sometimes that's harder than what the kids want, but it's still recovery day because it's not a nervous system day. And so uh, we'll come back Thursday. Uh, we'll probably do some more block starts, um, acceleration work, acceleration development. And then Friday, we're going to follow up with more top speed stuff. And, um, eventually we'll start working in once we get closer to the season, we'll make sure we're hitting, um, some of that speed endurance, special endurance. Um, we'll start doing some of that type of work. Um, probably not so much intensive tempo, uh, for our short sprinters, uh, for my longer sprinters, we definitely will hit some, um, intensive tempo and stuff like that. But, um that's kind of the general breakdown obviously you have some technical stuff in there with jumpers and hurdlers and stuff mm-hmm. but um that's kind of the more broad overview of, right. of that so um so like i said we're, we've kind of adjusted it a little bit this year so we'll see how it goes and we'll just keep tweaking from there right so
1: so you know like we're talking about this whole process about buy-in be, having the results and being successful a lot of times in track and field a successful season comes down to basically essentially just one meet, whether it's that conference mm. meet or that national meet, that's really how they over overview the season. Right. So do you have any models that you would go to for like a taper and in order to peak at these type of meets or is it
0: just scaling back volume for you? Um, a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Right. I think there's a, a volume correlation, you know, and you know that obviously with, with peaking, um, you know, I do have, there's probably a couple of workouts that I've, kind of bookmarked every year that like the way that we perform off of this workout was better than I thought. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe we need to go to that in a Mm -hmm. little different spot in our season. Right. Um, And how we can kind of adjust to that. But really when you're writing programming, you know, working from the back forward, Mm -hmm. working from the end of the year to now, um, because we know what we want it to look like at the end of the year. And so we want to write that training backwards and make sure that that's the goal in mind. and, And we're, filling out that process to get there. Otherwise if you start writing your training now, you might hit gaps in your training knowing where you want to be. And so we always write it from the back forward. Um, so that way we can make sure we're focused on on championship season. You know, you don't win a championship in October. And so um, October can set help set that up, but you don't championships in May. So um, so really writing that training backwards forward and making sure that we focus on a couple key elements. Um, for some kids it might be a little different we get to the championship season when we want that peak to be happening and every day you're having a conversation and my upperclassmen know this of how do we feel what do we need right and so um, i can write the training down as much as i want on a spreadsheet um on on paper or whatever but at the end of the day how is that being received and and how is that being executed then on a track and um Not always is what they feel match with what I'm seeing. (laughs) They might feel like they need more of more top speed work. And I'm like, well, I actually like where our mechanics are right now. And I like the way that we're moving and operating. Um, But at the end of the day, I think it's a cooperation. You know, I'm not running. And so I can see that. But I do believe there's a level of, okay, if they feel like they need more of that, I probably need to concede some of that to them because they're going to be more confident and probably run a little bit better too. Mm-hmm. And so um, really, once you get down to it, at, at the peak of our season, when we're trying to run our fastest, we start having those conversations of, how do we feel? What do we need? Here's what I'm seeing. What do you think? you know, And that's a little bit harder for underclassmen, because sometimes they just don't know. <laughs> and sometimes upperclassmen don't know either. But usually <laughs> we're kind of at a point now, or I really saw this last year, we can start having those conversations with upperclassmen who have been through the system and know what I'm looking for and know how we want to operate. And um, and I think that helps with kind of going back to the buy-in of mm-hmm. knowing like, Hey, I have a coach who's listening, you know, it's not just my way or the highway, you know, like let's work together on this and, and here's what, here's what we want to prioritize. What are you feeling? And let's make sure that um, we make this work together. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, having this you know, basically brand new indoor tour mirror track with turf on the inside, I think that comes as a blessing, but also a little bit of a curse, you know, as you probably know. Um, So for for those coaches out there and those athletes too, you know, when you're at MNU and your first year at Mount Marty, you had minimal to work with. You're rolling out runways, you have hallways and stuff like that. How has your programming evolved from that point to where you are now, where you have access to an indoor facility? Mm-hmm. Um, do you still go back to some of those things that you did and be like, hey, I don't like these indoor turns. I need to go back to the straightaway type thing. Or yeah. what, what has your process
0: been like? A little <clears throat> bit of a lot of that. You know, we, we trained in a space where it was about the length of a basketball court, which is rocking 30 to 35 meters, which is half of a 60 meter dash, which is the shortest race an indoor track and field. And so, um, you know, going from that to having eight lanes, 200 meters around the track, which lane eight is actually exactly 250 meters. Um, you know, all of a sudden, like we had all these possibilities where we had these very real facility, um, constraints, um, that we had to work around. And so our focus at my old school was like, Hey, we're just going to be as powerful as possible and we're going to be really fit. And we're going to have to sharpen all of that up on Saturday when we go to a meet mm-hmm. and know that it's going to take a few weeks to really get into things. Um, and we always knew as the coaching staff, like we could be better if we had other things, mm-hmm. right? Um, that is a real limiting factor. And so um, going from my first year there in a hallway and <laughs> one one woodway treadmill, one curved treadmill, to all of a sudden like being able to run. And, you know, the big thing that, I ran into is just making sure I'm managing volume appropriately um, because while we're, we run a lot in lane 7 and 8 because the curves are wider and it's easy to figure out our spacing with, especially for my 400 meter sprinters who are doing 300s and we've done some 500s um, and stuff like that, managing that volume, especially for athletes that have never had that right, they've never ran or practiced a full indoor season on a track before Um, And so at the end of the day, making sure that we were focused on staying as healthy as possible, um, knowing that it's not going to be, and I knew this going into practices, we're not going to hit the volume that I want to hit. It's going to be a a portion of that. And so let's make sure that we prioritize a few other things within that and just try to keep our kids healthy and we'll see what works and we'll adjust every year. And so we're to a point now where I think we've really dialed that in. Um, but it was, it was really different (laughs) the first year and, and I had guys like Paul and we've talked about it where I was like, honestly, I was probably a little bit scared to run you too much that first year or two, because I was the new guy coming in. I have this 47 high 400 guy. Let's just not break the guy. We have this new track, which is an amazing blessing, but it's also very hard. And all of a sudden you're getting in this volume, um, on a daily or weekly basis you're just not used to Mm -hmm. and we want to make sure that the body can adapt to that i don't we don't break down um any more than we normally would and so yeah it was a big learning curve It was part of it and it was fun to have to deal with it (laughs) sort of um (laughs) but you know you come out the other side better and it's just part of part of the process so um it was fun it's a big blessing now i feel like we certainly are managing it a lot better now we still have um, you know a curved treadmill which is kind of Tends to be the. We talk a lot with our athletes. It's not the A workout that makes um, all Americans. Mm -hmm. It's it's the B workout when I can't do the A workout. Mm -hmm. It's the C workout when I can't do the B workout. We we say consistency is king Mm -hmm. in track and field. So the more we can keep you on the track, keep you running, keep you working out without missing breaks or missing time, the better we're going to be. And so. You know that's one thing I, I feel like I've done a good job of, and partially that's because I didn't have facilities in the past. Was how can we adjust these workouts to accomplish a goal? And so, you know, adjusting from the A workout to the B workout, or adjusting to okay, well, I can give you a real good Woodway treadmill workout because I lived on those things with my athletes for four years. <laughs> and so the shins are lit up today. We're gonna be good for like maybe a rep in practice, and then our shins are gonna hurt. Well, okay. So here's the workout. We're going to do this on the treadmill. I need you to go hit it. I'll have the GA go with you and monitor the first portion to make sure we're on task, and then he's going to come back and help, and you can finish it. Let me know how it goes. Um, so we can still be productive, right? Mm-hmm. And that's for the most part what I've seen is every track kid's nightmares. Just don't, just don't shut me down. <laughs> I don't want, to, I don't want to go run on the Woodway treadmill, but if that means I'm not getting shut down, I'm okay with it. You know, and and those are those little victories of like, okay, we're we're hanging on, we're we're staying fit, and hopefully we're getting some progress done today. So, it's yeah, it's been a giant learning curve, and there's been a lot of adjustments, but it's it's been a lot of fun, and it's been necessary, but it's been good. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to touch
1: on hurdling because I know you're very passionate about that, and that's what you competed in throughout high school and mm-hmm. college. What are when you get a new freshman in, obviously especially from the men's side, you go from 39 to 42 here in South Dakota, yeah. you know, the women go, you know, a half meter longer in between hurdles. What is your process like teaching these new incoming freshmen about the hurdles?
0: Uh, it's, it's a lot of reps. Like we, we do a lot of drills, a lot of reps, not necessarily out of blocks, um, but getting over top of the hurdles. And, um, and you can get away with when your hurdles are eight meters apart, you can get away with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when your hurdles are thirty-nine inches tall, you can get away with a lot of things. Um, Forty-two inches exposes a lot, and so um, the big thing we focus on is same with sprinting. It's just moving right. Same I, a lot of foot strike. You know, I, we have a lot of. I've had a lot of success with. You know that one girl, and getting her down to fifteen low really quickly and we're just trying to get her on her toes and get her moving better and moving through the hurdles better. And, um, you see a lot of hurdlers that run very flat footed, um, that by nature tend to reach for hurdles. And that just sets up poor flight patterns over hurdles, poor movement qualities going into it, um, which sets up you're off the hurdle. And then all of a sudden we're, we accelerate through hurdle two. And then we're just trying to maintain, which usually gets rough. And so, um, you know, So really, and even with the guys, it's a lot of the same, focusing on foot strike, setting up our hurdle, going into the hurdle. Um, I know step one and two out of the blocks sets up my spacing at the hurdle, which dictates how I move through that hurdle, which Ooh. dictates my ability to continue acceleration um, or maintain, or I got a hold and I get off that hurdle, I'm trying to accelerate again. Um, and so um, working through the process, working really short to long, knowing that those blocks set up my hurdle and... Um, just working on development through a lot of high-quality reps. And so um, the hurdlers that seem to have the most success are the ones that have both the ability to attack really hard um, and also focus, right? And so you can focus all you want, but if you don't attack it the right way, we're not going to get into that hurdle the way that we need to, and you're not just going to run as fast as you want to. And that that might not correlate very well to sprinting, when the gun goes off <laughs> and we're racing, right? And so being able to attack really well in practice, in drills, um, but also be able to focus and make adjustments is huge. You know, it's, again, a lot like sprinting. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever had a perfect race. I know I've never had a perfect no. race. And so we talk a lot about, hey, the person who wins might be the one who's just better at adjusting and, and making those changes throughout the race mm-hmm. and adjusting their hurtling or adjusting their sprinting.
1: yeah. You mentioned the first two steps dictate a lot of your hurdle acceleration. Are you setting out markers for these athletes to kind of hit?
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. We, we put, and it's, it's different um, for kids depending on how tall they are and, and <clears throat> leg length and, and all that stuff. But we do try to put down markers so they generally know, hey, this is where I need to be. And especially while they're learning and developing, you get to a point with some of your classmen where they can kind of, know or tell, oh, I was a little too small here, or I didn't push as well at this point, um, or I just wasn't covering ground, or whatever it may be. Um, but especially as they're learning and growing and, and developing, um, you know, we, those markers are huge. And then especially if you're recording or doing film, they can, they can physically see, mm-hmm. oh, I was three inches behind, which set me up five inches behind the next step, which set me up to reach really hard at the hurdle, so I was at the appropriate space. Or maybe they're too used to being close to the hurdle. (laughs) And we're actually like when you're too close, you're forced to go up because you can't go through the hurdle Mm -hmm. horizontally. And so um, it it definitely makes a big difference. You know, we talk a lot about setting our kids up for success. Um, I can't watch every single rep all the time and give feedback for every single person for every rep. Mm -hmm. Like I have two eyes. They look the same direction. They don't look separate ways. Like I can only see so much and I can't give feedback on everything. So my job as a coach is to set my kids up for success as much as possible when I can't watch everything. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's just part of managing, uh, managing a group, you know? And so, um, we try to mark some of that stuff off. We certainly mark the touchdown and, and take off for the hurdles and, and just different things. So that way they, they understand what we're trying to do and, and set them up. If I can't give them feedback for everything. Yeah.
1: So Absolutely. What type of hurdle drills are you using with your athletes?
0: Uh, a lot of three-step <laughs> over the top. Um, we do a little bit of wall stuff early in there, just to make sure, especially for my younger kids, like we're just getting good flight pattern or movement patterns down with whether it's lead leg, trail leg, um, just to help try to ingrain some of those habits. Um, but a lot of just drilling over the top, working footwork, working frequency in between hurdles. Um, you know, you can't the stride when you compare a hundred meter sprinter and their stride length, you can't do that in between the hurdles as a hundred hurdler or a one ten hurdler. Mm-hmm. Like the stride frequency and the stride length is completely different. I didn't know that in college. So I just train wrecked my way through the last three hurdles because I was just trying to be big and <laughs> attack hard and run fast. And I didn't realize it was about getting my feet down and working a different rhythm. And so, um, you know, we were working different drills to help work acceleration, but we're also working different drills to, to manage those top end frequencies and rhythms um, within the hurdles, and a lot of that comes from three stepping, five stepping, um, doing a combination of the two um, to help manage those different things and get used to it. So hopefully, it's it becomes a habit where it's not awkward and we can do it and do it aggressively. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned in there how you had to learn as a coach that it's not just about pushing through the hurdle type <laughs> yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, who have been some of your biggest major influences and mentors in the coaching world?
0: Yeah, I, <clears throat> I within hurdling, I love. Or just anything track and field. I love anything Gary Winkler. Mm-hmm. Anything you can read Gary Winkler's is awesome. <laughs> um, I don't... I'm going to say his name wrong. Coach, Coach Baum? He was at yeah, is at Altus? Coach Bang, um, yeah, Coach Baum. Anything... Any, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to mess it up. Uh, anybody down at Altus you. has been great to follow. Great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, quite honestly, you're, you're an amazing resource. That You know, I check in with you all the time <clears> on Sprint <throat> stuff. You know, hey, mm-hmm. I got this idea. Um, and so... You know, going through that, going through you know my old mentor Nate, um, but I, I love reading Gary Winkler stuff. Vince Anderson's got an ama- some amazing stuff. If I'm looking for plyometrics, you know, Boo Sheck Snyder's the guy. Um, you know, and so those are some of, I guess, some of my resources where I immediately go if I'm like, okay, what are we doing? You know, mm-hmm. Some of the Charlie Francis stuff that I know you, you could probably recite the book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good, and so. um you know, just finding different things and, and getting different ideas and perspectives, and figuring out how we can how we can use that within um, the athletes that we're working with. Mm-hmm. I'm not working with, you know, 11 flat female sprinters. Right. You know, some of that isn't going to correlate as well for me. But there are certainly things that I can take from that to do our process better. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So close it in on the podcast here what does the future hold for you and Mount Marty? Like what are the big goals moving forward with this year and over the next
0: five? Right. Yeah, no, we, you know, I'd love to, you know, win, win a team title, you know, on a, on the conference level and, and just continue to grow our, our national presence. Mm-hmm. You know, um, our men's team was national runner up in the four by four. So hunting, hunting a first place or national championship, um, I think could definitely be on the horizon in in a couple areas, quite honestly. Um, you know, and then team wise you know i <laughs> I took the job and and I heard a lot of you going to the G pack, why would you go to the g pack and track it's arguably the best i would say hands down the best conference in the n a i and and i just i didn't it's not untouchable, and I think that if we get the right kids and we do things right and we're consistent and we have the depth, I think we can be there and I think. You know, last year our men finished fourth, you know, with um, the largest, the biggest portion of our points coming in the sprints, hurdles, relays. Um, now we have Coach Fitzsimmons, who's has an amazing record and legacy as a distance coach, coming in and bringing in some fresh ideas. I think we're going to be knocking on the door here very soon um, with having just even more of a complete team um, and just continuing to take those steps of growing and getting bigger. You know, we we have to be bigger, you know, if we're going to have depth in those different areas to push for some of this stuff. And so, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. And I think that we're just seeing that on a lot of different levels right now. And, and um, you know, so I think the big goal right now is, you know, I I want to be top two on the men's side on our conference. I think we can push for that this year right now. Um you know, pushing to be a conference champ would be hard, but I don't think that's out of the realm of, I think that's worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and on the girls' side, hopefully being top four, you know, and, and taking that step to being being up there. I think we finished maybe eighth last year. Um, And so I think we've got more depth this year. I think we're more competitive in multiple areas. So I think that we can do that. So just continuing to improve and, Um, and that's going to come from building those relationships and working together and enjoying what we do and who we're doing it with yeah absolutely Yeah. well on behalf of
1: our Boom Athletics staff and myself especially we appreciate you and what you've done for a few of our athletes going to Mount Marty and and we'll continue to have this relationship and partnership you're a good friend of mine as well so uh, appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day busy week to be on the podcast with us so we wish you the very best I appreciate it, Seth.
0: It was coming up here, man. Always good hanging out and uh, being a part of Boom Athletics. Absolutely.